0: Hebrews, uh, again, this time we are on page 1003, if you're using the book that's there in the pew or the chair, the blue one, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, this begins... A section that goes, it's really the main section of Hebrews, goes through uh, chapter 10. And before he really gets going in this section, which really begins properly in chapter 7, he he pauses and gives this little preview, this little exhortation of, of hearing. That is, I'm about, as he starts, I'm about to say a lot about Christ as priest. That's the context. I'm about to say a lot, but I'm concerned of how you're going to take it. I'm concerned of how you're going to hear this. And so he spends the last part of chapter 5 and chapter 6 priming them, trying to get their attitude right and to exhort them to hear this word. So... We are beginning and just going to touch on a few of the verses in this section. That if you've got the ESV, it has the title, Warning Against Apostasy. So, chapter 5, verse 11. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Thus, the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we pray for your grace and mercy to open up our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. We ask this for your glory. Amen. We have enjoyed the movie Hook. Uh, We enjoyed it and have seen it a few times since. And in this particular scene, Peter Banning, the dad, played by Robin Williams, had gone to work on the day Jack was playing baseball. He went to work. He didn't really have to, but he decided to go and he promised that he would be back for the baseball game, but he refused to leave work and he totally missed the game. Now they're going to England to visit uh, his wife's and, and mom's family there in England. And while they're on the plane, His wife urges Peter to go talk to the son. And Jack is really angry. He's throwing a baseball against the roof of the uh, airplane, the jet. And Peter is trying to talk to him, trying to talk to him, trying to get back in his graces because he's so mad that he missed the ball game. And the dad, Peter, says, Jack, my word is my bond. It's his favorite saying. And Jack says, yeah, junk bonds. And he hits the ceiling door and the plane with the ball and causes the uh, uh, air things, the oxygen mass, to drop down. And Peter says, what's the matter with you? When are you going to stop acting like a child? And he laughs and says, I am a child, right? It's one thing to tell an adult why you're acting like a child. But he was talking to a child now. Sometimes we might say to a 12-year-old, you're acting like a three-year-old, right? You're acting like a two-year-old. But we do say to one another quite a bit, you are acting like a child or better, you're acting like a big baby, right? We're trying to shame uh, the person to recognize how you're acting and grow up, be mature. Well, this basically is the thrust of this first section. Grow up, quit acting like children, quit acting like a baby. First of all, we need to ask the question, what is this dullness that he talks about? Our our, our basic topic is going to be quit acting like a baby, quit acting like a child from beginning to end. But we're going to try to get at it with a few points here. First, what's this dullness he talks about? You've, you're dull of hearing. And it's interesting, this marks off a section because at uh, chapter 6, verse 12, he mentions this again, being sluggish or dull of hearing. It's the same word. So this this is a real theme uh, of being dull of hearing and a warning to get out of it. The New International says, you no longer try to understand Or another version, you're too lazy to pay attention. So this is a purposeful dullness. In fact, it's so serious, it means that they are not responding to the radical claims of the gospel. They've begun to refuse to live out the radical gospel where they are. That's the dullness, the dullness against the gospel and its call. One of the marks was withdrawing from contact with outsiders instead of being used to minister the gospel to outsiders. That's what he's referring to. He says when you should be teaching others the word of God. You should be moving the gospel out. But now you're pulling in and protecting yourself in fear. There's a loss of strength. Certainty in the gospel, a conviction of it that's keeping them from communicating to others in the uh, context of their friendships. And he doesn't look at it as being this progress from immaturity to maturity, but just a flip back to immaturity. You see that you're mature and, and now you've jumped back into acting like a child. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, in what ways could this mark us as well? You see, he really assumes maturity here because up to this point, he's been teaching pretty heavy stuff. And after this, he teaches heavy stuff. In fact, he just says, chapter six, verse one, okay, therefore, let's leave the elementary things and go on. So he knows that they're, Basically mature people. After all, these are the ones who he later talks about in Hebrews 10, that they were so mature, they sacrificed their possessions in view of God's promises to uh, help those who were in prison. I mean, these were mature, vigorous people ready to sacrifice. They saw things clearly in terms of the gospel. And so really this, as several commentators point out, this is irony, It's the same irony when you tell someone you're acting like a baby. It's not like this is all that you are, but you're you're saying, you know, better than that. You can act better than that. You know what you should be doing and you're not doing it. That's the feel of this. Not that over a long period of time, they've uh, intellectually, they just couldn't get with the deeper stuff of the Bible. That's not, that's not the point. It's a, it's a moral issue, and probably just recently has there been this jump back to immaturity, but really it's, it's part of their temptation to apostasy when they're losing track of the promises of God and the call in the view of those promises to sacrifice themselves gladly for others. Now they're in the fear of persecution, they're beginning to be dulled against that call and to be children, children unwilling to sacrifice themselves, children unwilling to live out the gospel, dull to this gospel. And so he's urging them to to abandon uh, this refusal of the truth. This refusal of the truth because of the pain of it. There's a confrontation of the gospel in their lives and they are refusing that challenge and that conviction. Now for them it was persecution and loss. They were losing sight of God's ultimate protection of them. They had known it. And and he points this out in Hebrews 10. He says, you had view of your better possession. That's why you were willing to sacrifice everything to help your friends who were in prison. But now they were backing off. That promise was dull to them. They were sluggish to hear Christ's word to endure. They were sluggish to have their hearts fixed on the final possession And face persecution. So for them, it was persecution. For us, it could be other things. It could be giant areas of our life that perhaps is not driving us completely away from Christ, but causes us to drift into immaturity and childishness or holds us way back from where we could be. So it's not an intellectual problem of knowing God's word. It's a moral problem. We saw some of this when we talked about husbands loving their wives in 1 Peter. And and Peter says, otherwise your prayers will be hindered. Right? Or we talked about Matthew 5 where Jesus says, If you're at the altar and you remember that someone has something against you, then leave the offering there and go and fix that issue. You see how in the relationship to God in in sacrifice and worship and prayer, the relationship I have with others means everything. Well, what if I'm totally ignoring an aspect of my relationship with someone else? What if I've just... Just said to myself and to my heart, basically, I'm never going to deal with this. I don't want to deal with this. It's over, but I still want to carry on a relationship with God. You see, if it's that important in, in one instance where Jesus says, leave the offering there and go and take care of it. Think of devoting whole areas of my life. To things that are destructive. And then thinking I'm going to move forward. And I'm not talking about moving forward intellectually. Like understanding more and more doctrine. I'm talking about the word holding on to your heart more and more. More and more being devoted to love and joy and worship. And and growing in your means of serving others. So... It's a matter of heart advancement, moving holistic way forward as a a believer, moving forward in humility and trust, love to God and love others. For instance, it could be simply fear, fear of serving people in your neighborhood, for instance, fear of visiting and hospitality and mercy and kindness, could this be something that for years you've just said i'm not going to even deal with that could that be something to bring to the table and and say lord i've been i've refused to be concerned about the particular needs of those around me or maybe i've been i've refused to be concerned about the particular needs of my husband or wife and that's just the fixed way you live I'm just not going to do this. I'm just not going to do that. I know he would look like this. I know she would like that, but I'm just not going to do it. How would that affect your relationship to God, you think? How would that be a reversion to childhood instead of entrusting yourself to the promise of God that as you give yourself to me, I assure you that your life will expand in liberty and joy and fruitfulness as you sacrifice yourself for others. Of course, it could be an addiction, not only to something like porn, it could be an addiction to TV or gaming or novels or eating or drinking. These things become a replacement for God, meeting my needs instead of God. Plenty of time for these, but no time for God. It's God's word, for instance or maybe it's anger i'm use anger for control the members of the household submit to you or avoid asking for things or avoid situations just to stay away from you anger is this little implosion of self or it could be what i would call purposeful anxiety right the implosion for attention the eor syndrome eor commitment you know, he's always committed to it. Good morning, Pooh Bear. If it is a good morning, which I doubt. Right. So that's just our approach. It's approach to life. And what is that for? It's to keep things coming back to me. Focus on me and my anxiety and my worry. To, to be joyful Means to sacrifice this self-centeredness. It means to push out and give myself away to others. I know I can't, can't be happy. So of course, all of us have many areas, and God's working on them. Okay, we we all have so much to, to, so far to go, but sometimes there are, are large areas of just refusal refusal for them it was they were they were grappling with refusing to move forward if it means being persecuted and they were on the edge of this but for us in perhaps ways that are that serious or less still there's that tendency to revert to a childhood instead of taking responsibility and living out the promise of God instead of being dedicated to fear and self. So there's this persecution. What about yours? What about mine? So that's something about this dullness that he's talking about. Then we need to talk about this phrase, the word of righteousness. He says in verse 13, everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. There have been some ideas of what he means here because it's a bit unusual phrase. But I agree with those who say this became a kind of technical word, a specific meaning And you can find it in the writing of Polycarp, who was just after the time of the apostles. And Polycarp is talking to people about enduring persecution, interestingly. okay, Same subject, same concern that they endure in the midst of persecution. And so he talks about Christ Jesus and he says, Christ endured everything. Therefore, let us become imitators of his patient endurance and glorify him whenever we suffer for the sake of his name. So he's calling them first to look to Christ. I therefore exhort you too to obey the word of righteousness. There's the phrase. And to practice patient endurance to the limit, that is, martyrdom. And that's what the. The people to whom the writer sent this letter of Hebrews, they were facing, possibly under Nero, the prospect of martyrdom. And you can see how the writer of Hebrews is trying to bolster them in the promises of God so that they would be willing to serve Christ no matter what. And Polycarp is doing the same thing. And he calls to mind others who gave who've given their lives As even Paul and the other apostles. And so the word of righteousness. It's this word of such great salvation and hope. That it fixes in us. A passion to lose our life for others. See, it's the word of righteousness that so that we build the hope, our hope of eternal life, calls us to practice patient endurance in the light of those promises. It calls us to a new character, a, a new life. It this righteousness now defines us. So that this willingness, this willingness. To sacrifice everything for Christ is understood as the basic word that was given to us. A word that calls us to that kind of righteousness. You see, righteousness is not looked at as just doing the right thing always or obeying rules. But righteousness is, it means giving myself up to the will of God, whatever it might cost That's the word of righteousness. And it's not for just the mature. He assumes here that at the very elementary doctrine of Christ in chapter 6, verse 1, that there will be repentance from dead works and faith toward God. You see, Jesus even said, didn't he? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. For whoever will save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That wasn't somewhere down the road for super disciples. That was right at the front door. Look, this this is what faith in me means. A willingness to bear your cross. A willingness to sacrifice everything for me. And w- interesting. Great crowds were following him in Luke 14 and you'd think he was just like, oh good, I got, I got all these people. Things are looking great. But he suddenly whirls and looks to all these people. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Almost as though, wait a minute, what are you doing here? Do you understand the nature of this call? And again, this isn't like, okay, you've been with me years and years and years. Now let's talk about discipleship. (laughs) Let's talk about commitment. This is the front end. And that's why he says, you've reverted to a childhood. You're not following out the word of righteousness. Paul spoke to the churches as the very churches he went to in his first missionary journey when he came back through he told them it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God so new believers he's telling them he was with the Thessalonians for three weeks and he says remember we told you we were destined for suffering in the first weeks he was there he lays it out so There's a failure here in the risky love that he tells them they had in Hebrews chapter 10 of a faith and a hope that enables you to love no matter what the cost because of that hope. And so this word of righteousness is the word of giving up one's life for Christ. And we saw it in our hymns, didn't we? Uh, as Jacob called attention to, O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from the They were asking to fly from the cross. But do you see the preciousness of the cross, the beauty of the cross, to the means of the forgiveness of your sins and your Enjoyment of the presence of God is why you would never abandon that cross, even if it means you're going to be persecuted because of it. You see, it's the preciousness of that cross. It lifts my head. It lifted my head for the first time in my life that I could know forgiveness. I could face judgment knowing that Christ had taken my sins away. I could begin to enjoy God instead of hate God. Those are the things that happened in my life. I began to love people in a way I'd never even thought about. Cross that lifts up my head. I dare not ask to fly from thee. So you and I need to ask the question, In what ways am I wanting to fly from him? In what ways am I wanting to step back and abandon this cross and abandon its demands that I live out love in the hardest places? I live out love with my husband or wife, my family, my neighbors. Where am I abandoning that cross instead of living out that cross and letting its beauty become more and more a part of my life? And of course... On the opposite page, there's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. So there's no separation of the beauty and wonder of that cross and its salvation for you and its call to you to bear it. Okay? There's one one and the same. The preciousness of the cross to rescue you. And at the same time, the call to To bear that cross. To bear the hatred of the world. You don't want the one. You don't have the other. It's not really that precious to you. You see. It's not that precious. It's not that important. He's really not that beautiful. He's really not that worthy. He's really not that good. He's really not that gracious. And finally. Finally. We ask, what about this dullness of hearing? What about this word of righteousness? I'm trying to help us get at this idea of leaving immaturity. And then finally, what about this solid food he talks about? <clears throat> he says, solid food is for the mature, for those who've, who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Verse 14 it's interesting, solid food is not reserved for some inner circle, right? Solid food is for every single one of us. In fact, nobody's really supposed to be on milk for long. <laughs> we're all to be eating solid food. We're we're to be Engage, it's not a matter of where you will stay in a certain stage for the whole of your life and think, I'm just not going to be one of those that tells others about Christ. I'm going to be one of those that really doesn't know the Bible that much and doesn't really know much about theology or know, really be able to explain Christ or whatever. Brothers and sisters, that's not an option, really. It's not an option. It's, it's all of us moving forward, hungering and thirsting to know more of this Jesus and to have more of his life, a part of our life. To worship him better and to trust him more, to be more and more amazed at him. This discernment he talks about is a discernment in how to act in the midst of difficulty. Right? How to continue to endure and love people no matter your circumstances. How to trust God and see God working in the worst of circumstances. How to maintain your joy and hope in His presence, your hope in His purpose in your life, your hope in His promises. Your desire to apply the gospel in every area of life. You can see Paul praying for the same thing in Philippians 1. He says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. See, that you may know how love permeates different areas of your life. You may discern areas where you're not loving those closest to you and you're really convicted of it and you're convinced of the need to change and you begin to walk differently. That's discernment. Discernment of all the ways I could live out love. That's what Paul prays for. And that's the kind of thing he's talking about here. And that's it's difficult to maintain that sense of God's love and presence and the sense of his purpose in your life, his call on your life and to be constantly moving more and more toward an outward focus as you pr- entrust yourself to this God who's promised so much for you. And when he says, in terms of that solid food, leave the elementary doctrine, he's not saying leave it behind. We're not worried about it anymore. But it's a kind of, let's build upon it, right? And it's interesting in verse 1 when he says, let's go on to maturity. It's really, it's a passive word and it's the word to be carried. And so literally it would read, be carried by God to maturity give yourself put yourself in god's hands that he might make you mature it's not it's not a pull yourself up by your bootstraps it's to primarily because of the discussion here of of the uh, washings and laying on of, uh, of hands, which we don't have time to get into. But this is definitely church ministry, church action ministry that he's talking about here. And so, from beginning to end, to, to move forward, to be carried forward, is to submit to God's active influence in the community of the church. At the very least. And worship is a great example. Worship is a shaping force in our lives. The action of gathering together with God's people and being present with God's people as one. Acting in concert in the different parts of worship and singing and confession and prayers. In the very action of preaching and the action of the sacrament. The action of lifting our hands. The action of receiving the benediction. This is where God promises to be in our midst. This, we form his holy temple. This is the place of his action. So to be carried forward into maturity is to come and submit to the action of God in the midst of his people. What a glorious prospect. Instead of, yeah, we're going to church. You know, No, we're we're going to submit our lives to the action of the mighty God of all creation who dwells in the midst of his people. This is the holy place and God is present with us. And when he is present, he is dynamic. He is life-changing present. (laughs) If you don't believe it, And you won't entrust yourself to him and you don't expect anything. You remember Jesus that said he was unable to do any mighty works in that city because of their unbelief. Yeah, you could come here and go away unaffected. I suggest not. I suggest you come with some expectation to be carried forward. This is the place of his mercy and grace and transformation. This maturity is the accomplishment of God in our lives. It's His call. It's not my doing in the end of it. It's His action. And so you can see how the very basis of their life was repentance from dead works, from the dead life they had, life separated from the living God, turning and being uh, joined to God, trusting themselves in God in the midst of the church ministry, but with the focus of the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. That's a huge focus in Hebrews because the prospect of being raised from the dead in that final day and the prospect of the new creation to be the inheritors of the kingdom of God, to belong to that new city which God will form uh, in the new creation. That's what enables us to be lavish with our lives and reckless with our lives because we have that inheritance. And we know that he will... We can face judgment without fear because we're forgiven in Christ. It does cause us to be in awe of coming to that judgment, but it also gives us comfort to know in judgment all evil will be removed. All antagonism against God will be gone. We have that hope and that frees us to love even our enemies. As Paul says in Romans 12, We can pray for those who even persecute us and hurt us because we know God will take care of judgment. We don't have to worry about that. He will judge the world. We can entrust ourselves to him. Let me give you another passage just to underscore, and we'll end on this, of the solid food. Um, When he's writing to the Thessalonians, he says, He he rehearses what happened with the Thessalonians. And and it amazes me how he describes this, how succinctly, how how briefly. He says, you turned from idols to serve the living God. So that's, in our passage, repentance from dead works, dead works being idols. And faith in God. So you, you turn from idols to serve the living God and wait. For Jesus from heaven to wait for his son from heaven. You think <laughs> that all you did? you sat around and waited. That's all you did all day. You sit and wait. Well, no, but notice this is the characteristic of the people. This is the atmosphere and the context for everything they did. It was in the context of waiting, waiting for the son from heaven the one who saved them from the wrath to come. So, are we living in hope? Or are we children? Let us pray. O oh Lord, bless us that we will show forth strength and courage and adult responsibility in living out the precious good news of Christ who's redeemed us from our sins, redeemed us from the dominion of sin, Forgiven us our sins and granted us a kingdom. O oh Lord, may these, we, we ever be delving more and more deeply into this precious good news. And seeing it take root and bear much, much fruit in our lives. Day by day and week by week, month by month and year by year. Oh Lord, thank you for the prospect of this gospel taking hold of our lives ever more throughout the whole of our lives and ushering us finally into your great kingdom. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.